Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. We're going to start in the book of Mark. The book of Mark is, of course, Mark's account of the story of Jesus' life. We're going to look at Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 3. It says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment and pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask, and she poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? There were some who said, why did we spend so much time this morning in worship? Why did we go on so long wasting time? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, But Jesus, I mean, is anybody grateful that when others have scolded you and when others have tried to cast you out and when others have not understood what you were doing, but Jesus said, I don't care what they say about you. What does Jesus say about you? And Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing. Thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Heavenly Father, Holy God, we thank you. We thank you that you're with us. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you see us. And God, we just want to say that we are hungry for you. God, take us into new depths with you. Take us into new places with you. And while we're here in this moment, take us, God, somewhere fresh with you. Change us and transform us because of what happens in this place. In your mighty name, amen. So when I was in Bible college, someone gifted me a car. Now, the car was older than I was, but it ran, and it had a full year of registration on it, which in Australia is a really big deal because Australian car registration is like a million dollars a year. And I had about $17 to my name, so it was a massively big, exciting deal that someone looked at this poor, international, lonely college student and said, I'm so tired of seeing that girl walk everywhere that she goes. For Lord's sake, let her have this car that is older than she is. And I was so thrilled. I mean, you would have thought that, you would have thought that they gave me like, I'm not really a car person. What's like a cool car? What's a car that you really like? A Lamborghini? Like a Lamborghini? Or what car? Over here, what cars do you like? 
a Rolls Royce, yes. Like I was driving this little 81 Mitsubishi like it was a Lamb, I was like, yes. Someone just gave me this faded burgundy. Mm, it was so good to me. And I was, I was like, you can't tell me nothing. All my life he has been faithful. He showed up with windows that roll down. Yes. There was one issue with the, the gift and the receiver, which was that this car was a stick shift. And your child had never learned to drive a stick shift. Now, my mama taught me how to drive giant cars. I can back up a three-row expedition without the camera. I learned how to back up one of those bad boys, you know, like a Subaru. Before we had camera, I can drive one of those, but I did not know how to drive a stick shift. But this man gave me this car. I was about to learn how to drive a stick shift because I was going somewhere. And good news, I had a brand new boyfriend of about four weeks. His name was Philip Ryburn, and he had learned how to drive a stick shift when he got his driver's license. So I tell him, someone's giving me a car. I don't know how to drive, and I need you to come help me pick it up. So we go over, we pick up this car. I'm sure the person was very confused because we drive over in his car, which was a automatic car, and then Phil gets out of the automatic and gets in my new car because I don't really want this person to know how terribly I have no idea what I'm getting ready to do with this car. Drive the car back to his parents' house, and Phil gives me a crash course. Now, here's the thing that you need to understand about learning to drive a manual or a stick shift in Sydney, Australia, which is different from learning how to drive it right here in Northwest Ohio, or, yeah, we're in Northwest, which is this. It is very flat here. Very, very flat here in Ohio. You go out on the road and you can see from the point you're at to wherever it is that you are going. It is straight and flat. Not so in Sydney. It is a very hilly, mountainous country. And some of you, like me, have grown up on automatic cars, and so you're like, what's the big deal? But can anyone who's over 40 just relate with me for a second about how terrifying it is to drive a stick shift when you are on a hilly road? It's scary. Let me tell you something for those who are under 40 about how stick shifts work. When you go into park and you are on a hill, they don't just stop. They don't just stay there on the hill. If you don't stay engaged in what's happening, they will start rolling backwards. And on the way from my sweet little apartment all the way to Phil's parents' house where he lived, there was one particular hill that was very steep. And on this very steep hill, there were not one, but two stoplights and very heavy traffic. 
I am not exaggerating when I tell you one day I almost rolled back my little Rolls Royce Burgundy Mitsubishi 81 into a brand new, very shiny black BMW. By the time I got to Phil's house every day, I would be sweating bullets and be like, I made it. I was peeling out everywhere, not because I was trying to be cool and not because I was trying to be hip, because I had no idea how to do a hill start except for just to screech that bad boy as hard as I could to make sure I didn't roll back into the car behind me. It was a sight to behold, but blessed Phil Ryburn and all of his patience taught me how to drive this car. We would go down to the end of his parents' street and we'd go up and we'd go back and we would stall out and those poor gears in my car would grind. So they probably were ground more in the first month of me driving that car than they had in their entire 28-year history up to that point. It was the saddest sight you have seen. And Phil and I have often joked that it came at the right time in our relationship as well because we were very freshly dating and so we would go and I would start to train he'd explain and I'd go okay and I'd start to do the gears and then we would go and I would and those gears would start grinding he would just so patiently say, okay okay it, it seems like like you're not Quite, quite getting that changed into gear. That's a, that noise, remember, if you remember, that noise that you're hearing. I'd stall out, and he'd go, yep, okay, okay. So that, that it, that's the same thing we did. The, la the last five times we did this, that's the exact same. So we're, we're just going to try. Okay, who's been in a relationship for more than a year and knows that if Phil and I had to have that same relationship bonding experience 10 plus years into our relationship, that that conversation might go a little bit differently at this stage in our connection together. How many people know that it would probably end more with him accusing me of not listening and not paying attention and me accusing him of being a terrible teacher who doesn't understand how to explain things that we would not have the same level of patience and kindness and gentleness. It is not now. I am not saying that's how it should be. I think that we should save the level of courtesy, save the level of kindness that we use with total strangers for the most important relationships in our life. We should speak to each other with that level of respect and with that level of dignity. I'm just saying we don't always do it. 
right? I'm just saying that sometimes we allow ourselves to become a little bit too casual in the way that we connect with each other. And we allow ourselves to become a little bit too comfortable and complacent with the people that are closest to us in our life and with the people that we see most regularly. And you're not going to leave me hanging out here on a limb with it because I have heard you and I have seen you. You're going through the drive through line and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, thanks so much. You guys are awesome. Make sure you stay dry out there. And that window is not all the way rolled back up and you're back on the phone. Like, I just told you, I told you that I needed a minute while I was going through the drive through line. Why is it that we don't save the same level of respect for the people that are closest to us in our lives that we do for those that are total strangers, that we do for fresh, brand new relationships. There's something about when we get comfortable with people. There's something about when we get casual with people. There's something about when we just get used to, you're gonna be around, and we just get used to you showing up. We just get used to each other and we just get used to what's going on. What is happening with this woman in this story who shows up to a dinner party with Jesus and there's something about her that just has an uncommon response. She has a response that is totally different to everyone else. And here's the thing. I think we have the opportunity to take a common thing and respond in an uncommon way and live out uncommon lives. Because there are so many things that are common, that should be common, that used to be common, that just aren't that common anymore. There's this old Ben Franklin quote that says, common sense just isn't that common anymore. And I feel like as I walk through my week, sometimes I think there are common things that just for some reason aren't that common anymore. Those of you who work, especially in HR, you know that you probably spend a good amount of your time looking and studying what's being called the great resignation as we look at a total transformation in what's happening in the workforce. And one of those things is that they are now, there are many companies that are now paying people weekly bonuses to show up for all of the shifts they have been scheduled for. Yeah, you heard me right. Not for picking up bonus shifts, not because they were willing to come in for extra hours, because they said, hey, we scheduled you for Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week, and at the end of that week, they said, you showed up for Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Good for you. You can have an uncommon existence just showing up in some common ways these days. Because there are just common things that have become too uncommon. Phil was on a call this week with a community partner. And before he got off the phone with the woman, he said, hey, I just want to thank you for the work that you do in our community. I want you to know that it really matters and that you're making a difference. And I really appreciate what you do to make our city a better place. And he said it got real quiet. And she said, no one has ever said that to me before ever. 
No one has ever said to her, no one has ever paused and said, hey, I'm really grateful for what you do to show up. You can have an uncommon experience by doing something very common, something very normal in the midst of what's happening. I wanna challenge every single one of us this week to just do exactly what Phil did and find somebody in your life who shows up and let them know that you're grateful for the way that they show up in your life. Something so common and so simple and so basic as stopping to say, Thank you for the way that you do what you do can have an uncommon place, an uncommon response, and lead us to uncommon existences here in our community. What is happening with this woman in this story? This woman in this story did something that was very common. She did something that was often done. She did something that's really different to us, but it wasn't that different to the people involved. It's just that she did it in kind of an uncommon way. She took a common thing and she said, I need to make sure that this happens. See, anointing an honored guest with oil and with fragrances was a common part of the custom of the day when you threw a dinner party. Now it's really different than what we do, right? But it was a way of showing honor. It was a way of showing respect. It was a way of saying, I'm recognizing that you are the honored guest. As people would come, and as part of the dinner party, someone would bring out, before the meal began, they would bring out oil mixed with spices and fragrances, and then they would smear it on this guest of honor to say, you're welcome here to say, I'm so glad that you came, to, to recognize that it's an honor for me that you would come into my household. This was a, it's like for us, like if you were having a dinner party, and we do kind of at this time, we do a lot of maybe like buffet style, you know, where we set out all the food and people serve their own plates. Or if you were gonna say, you know what, you're the honored guest today. Maybe it's your birthday, or maybe it's the most senior person who's kind of in your group, like the grandparent or the great-grandparent, and you say, you know what, when we serve, I want you to go first. That's a way that we show honor. It's a way that we show respect. We say, oh, you go first when we go and we, and we start to fill our plates. Or a way that we show honor is that when we sit around a table, we sit and while everyone else is getting their meals, whether it's at a restaurant or maybe we're serving, the rest of the people sit and they wait and they don't eat their food until everyone sits at the table with their meal. It's one of the ways that we show respect and that we show honor. Some of you are taking notes right now, and you're like, what on earth? I have never heard this information before, and this is groundbreaking manners, and that's okay, because first of all, it's not Bible, it's cultural, right? It's just kind of part of how we do dinner, but also these are the things that we learn when we sit around a table together. When we come and we sit at a table together and you say, you know what, there were 15 of us growing up, and you grabbed your food and you ate your food as fast as you possibly can, and somebody says, oh, well, culturally, here for us, we actually, we sit, and we normally wait until everyone has their meal at the table, and it's part of how we show respect. And it, it might be why, why every time your boss takes you out for dinner, 
you're coming across a little bit rude to them because you don't know that you're, you're violating a, a communication of how we communicate respect and honor. This is how we begin to then work together to live transformed lives, not that necessarily match our culture, but when we get in those conversations, when we come into our small group settings, when we come into our home environments together, when we go out and we sit around a meal together, we can go even deeper than, than what we just normally culturally do and we can start talking about the things that are in each and every one of us that aren't lining up with who Jesus made us to be we gather around a table together and that's where we really begin to observe each other that's when we really begin to connect with each other that's when we can talk to each other and say hey why is it that we pray before every meal why is it that you choose the words that you choose before you pray? Because we do so many things, and we just do them. We don't know why. We just go through the habit of doing what we do, and, but we could sit, and then when we're gathered together, that's where transformation happens. As a life group leader says to you, oh, the reason that I sit and before I take a meal, I pause. It's to reset my heart and my mind on God. It's to remember how grateful I am. It's to remind myself that everything that's at this table didn't come because I'm so amazing, but because he's so amazing. It's to invite Jesus into this space with us and to remember that when we sit at the table like this, there's something sacred about it. Some of our team members were having a conversation a couple of weeks ago. Some of the members who are on staff, one of the members on staff is a little bit uh, fresher and eager and hungry in his faith. And, and he was like, I hear you guys talking about this thing like prophecy and prophetic words, and I don't really know what that is. I don't have the same church background as everyone else. Can someone explain to me? And they were so excited. And the other team members started saying, oh, let me tell you what it is. And let me tell you about a time I got a word that carried me in a season let me tell you about a time that God spoke to me and it started taking me in a different direction. And here, let's open up our Bible so we can give you an example of what that looks like. There are so many things that we do when we gather in this room together, but there are certain things that happen in the way that where our lives are transformed, in the way that we call each other, in the way that we walk together, that happen when we sit down together, that happen in those one-on-one -on -one relationship spaces together, that happen when we hang out on a weekend and we can say to each other, you know, I know you love your kids, but the way that you speak to them sometimes, I don't, I don't know if it reflects the heart of God to your kids. And I don't, I don't want to tell you how to parent your kids. I just want to offer another perspective that God said that they're a treasure. I just want you to think about if you're speaking to your kids like they're a treasure where we can sit down with each other and say, hey, Hey, we, we believe that scripture gives us li liberality, liberality. And if you want to have a drink, you can have a drink. But I've noticed that you, you, you tend to have a few drinks. I've noticed that when we start talking about your siblings, you really start leaning into the drinks. I just wanted you to know that if you want to talk about that, I can talk about that with you. I wanted you to know that I'm, I'm here if that's something that we want to walk through together. There is something transformational that happens in our life when we sit down at the table and we begin to lean into what is happening here. There's something that happens at the table when we remind ourselves that this is a sacred space. 
that this is a place that we have been called to enter into together. And when we come into this place together, that God has called us to go deeper with him, to go deeper with each other, to go into a depth of relationship that is all too uncommon anymore. And this woman came to this meal and she started looking at what was happening. And there was something about everyone else at the meal that had just gone gotten a little bit too casual with Jesus. They'd gotten just a little bit too casual with what it was they were coming to do. See, the person who should have had the role of anointing Jesus is Simon. It was Simon's house, and it was Simon's right. It was Simon's place. It was Simon's first opportunity to be the person who said, Jesus, I'm so glad that you came to a meal with me. I'm so glad that you came into my home and into this space and began to anoint him with oil. And we don't know why Simon didn't do it. Maybe he didn't have it to do, but He had it to throw a big dinner party for everybody, so I think that's probably not the case. My best guess, understanding human nature, is that Simon got a little bit too comfortable, a little bit too casual with hanging out with Jesus. He got a little bit leaned back, a little bit settled, a little bit counting on him always being there. He got a little bit excited about what it looked like for everybody else, for Jesus to be coming to his house, that he lost the awe and he lost the sacredness of what it meant that Jesus was coming to sit in his house. Here's the thing. When things become easily accessible, we run the danger of losing the sacredness that we carry for them inside of our own hearts. And it's not the responsibility of the thing to make you remember that it's sacred. It's the responsibility of the believer to carry some places in our life that we have held and that we have made sacred spaces, meaning these spaces are uncommon. These spaces are unlike anywhere else. And we are in the day of accessibility. Education used to be something sacred that only a few people had access to. And now it's easily accessible. And I think that it should be. But the danger that we have is that we don't handle it quite as sacredly as we used to handle it because we're like, it doesn't matter. I'll just look it up anytime I need to look it up. Or I can just, it's just there anytime that I need it. We become casual with the most important relationships in our life because they are easily accessible to us. The reason that I was softer in the way that I spoke to Phil in the early days, the reason that I used a greater level of decorum and kindness and gentleness with him is because he wasn't always accessible to me. I wasn't guaranteed that he was always going to be there for me. But now I have a continual accessibility to him. I have a right in his life that no one else has that when I call, I don't care what meeting you're in, you're going to answer my phone call. I don't care what's 
going on in the day. You're going to be home at the end of the day. And those things should be. But if I carry them too casually inside my own heart, I lose the sacredness of this close, sacred relationship because I've just treated it like it's any other relationship in my life. Can I go on? Sexuality and sex has become easily accessible and we've become casual with it and we've lost the sacredness that it is for two people to be joined together. We have lost the sacredness of what it means for us to gather together like this, to come out and to be joined in a public place of worship because it's easily accessible to us. And because it's easily accessible to us, those who are followers of Jesus should carry it in our hearts because we're trying to make it accessible for those who aren't yet followers of Jesus. And so we push out podcasts in every way that we can. And we push out YouTube clips in every way that we can. And we stream on every platform we can possibly get to. And we try and make things easier for you to come in so that those who don't know Jesus might find him. We are working to declare Jesus everywhere. But those of us who are followers of Jesus have to learn to hold it in a sacred space in our life and say there is something sacred about when we come together and I will have an uncommon response to this very common gathering of the people of God that happens. Something had happened in the room where they had become casual. They had access to Jesus, to God in flesh. And because they had daily access, they forgot to hold the sacredness in their hearts for who he was. What do you have access to that you are not holding the sacredness in your heart for that place or that person or that thing? Just because it's accessible to you, don't lose the sacredness. And they go to have their meal. Can you just picture, can you imagine this woman as she's watching this dinner begin to unfold, that all of the guests are arriving. They're all coming in. There's a table in the middle of the room, a table that most likely was shaped in the shape of a U so that the servants could come into the center and serve the meal. And all along the edge, it had a deep couch-like chair so people could sit and recline at the table together. And the guests are arriving and they're washing their feet and they're mingling together and the woman is watching. And she notices that no one goes to get the oil. No one goes to bring something out to anoint Jesus. And, and you can hear her. You can feel her getting nervous and getting uncomfortable because now people are finding their seats at the table. They're beginning to settle into what's gonna be the meal. And she's looking. She's looking over at Simon She's trying to give him, you know, that like hint with the eyebrows. Like, you, you forgot. 
Surely Simon intended to, and he just got caught up, and Simon doesn't catch up on her cues, and he just goes on, and she sits at the table, and now the servants, they've started to bring out the hummus and the pita bread, and she's getting nervous now because it looks like the meal is going to go on, and you can see this woman, she's fidgeting. Certainly they haven't forgotten to bring out, and to and certainly they haven't forgotten to recognize that Jesus is sitting at this table with us. She's becoming uncomfortable. Are we going to let the meal go on like this? Are we going to let the order of the service continue in this way? Are we going to just keep walking? Are we just going to be more concerned about what's happened? She's starting to be nervous and uncomfortable. And now she knows because she knows that she's, she starts digging in her, but she's like the original Mary Poppins. She's just walking around with a box of alabaster oil in case she just so happens to have a moment where she needs to crack an alabaster box out and anoint Jesus with oil. And I think it's funny, but I also wonder, are you ready to anoint Jesus whenever he walks into the room? Are you carrying something with you that's ready to pour out your worship on him? That's ready to pour out an anointing oil that's ready to honor? And are you carrying something with you that says, oh, if I encounter him in the aisle of a grocery store, if I encounter him at a cafe over a cappuccino with a friend, wherever I find him, I've got something with me that's ready for me to reach down and grab it and crack that thing open and she fiddles down in her bag and she finds this box, this box that has been carved out of alabaster stone and filled with oil and filled with fragrance and she does what more of us should do and she pushes past all the awkwardness and she pushes back past all the discomfort and all the what are they going to say because she's not the one who should have been anointing Jesus in this moment. It should have been Simon but she's stops editing herself and she says I just have to go forward in church I want to be real with you that this is the moment I find myself in that too often for me I edit myself and I start thinking God but it's going to make Simon uncomfortable if I step out and do this thing because it might embarrass him a little bit where these people are gonna look at me if I go out. They've already started serving the meal, God. God, don't make me do this thing, but this woman had something on the inside of her that said it's gonna be what it's gonna be. And people are gonna think what they're gonna think but I've brought this oil with me and I cannot miss the moment. There is something common that should have happened that has been missed. And she gets up in front of everybody and she doesn't use just a little bit of the oil and she doesn't pour just a smidgen of it. She doesn't just crack the lid on it. It says she breaks the box as a declaration that everything that I have is about to be poured out. I'm not holding any of this back. I'm not holding any of it for later. I'm not saving any of it in case I need it tomorrow. She breaks the box open and she pours the whole thing out on Jesus and she covers him with the oil and she covers him with the fragrance and she covers him with the aroma and she begins to honor him and she begins to recognize him and she makes a statement to everyone else in the room that says if you guys want to go on with the program you can if you guys want to continue with your meal you can if you guys want to look at me funny then you can but I cannot miss a moment to worship 
Jesus. I cannot miss a moment to sit at his feet. I cannot miss a moment to pour out a lavish oil on him. She pours out the whole thing. The whole thing. And they start grumbling around her. One of the Gospels tells us specifically that Judas said, oh, we could have sold that for a year's worth of wages. And I think it's so interesting that the next section that we read about is Judas taking money in exchange for Jesus. I'm telling you, church, you have to be careful of people who are more concerned about cashing out on Jesus than they are about pouring out on Jesus. <laughs> Judas was looking for an opportunity to see if he could make some money off of this connection that he had with Jesus. And this woman said, I've made some money, I've made more than some people, and I've made less than other people. And for all that that's worth, Jesus, I want to pour it out on you. I want to pour it all out on you. And we have to be a people who are willing to have uncommon responses to who Jesus is. People who don't grow complacent with the fact that we gather in this space. People who don't grow complacent with the fact that Jesus comes and he sits with us and he speaks with us and he communes with us. We can't just come in and sing songs. We can't just wake up and just do what we do. We have to say, God, we want to live lives poured out. How do we find that new relationship, sacredness for what it means to encounter Jesus? What are we doing? to reset, to find those pauses, to find those places, to find those spaces where we say, wait, 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 I'm gonna pour everything that I have out. I'm gonna pour all of my love, all of my devotion, all of the oil, all of everything that I have. Jesus, I hate, I just, I hold on to it with an open hand because there was something in this woman's life that said, I can't forget where I've come from. I can't forget. Some of us are new and we've still got that new feeling. You're like Phil and I in that car early. You're like, Jesus. Hey, it's me still. Some of us have been around for a long time. And we just, we come in. We come in late. We skip when it's raining too hard or we think about volunteering, but we don't really want to volunteer. And we, we guard our calendar and we guard our money and we guard our hearts. And when we guard our hearts, he can't pour in. God is calling us to a season of saying it's all yours, God. We want to do 
the common thing of acknowledging who you are in an uncommon way. If you're able to stand, I just want us to worship. So we love you, God. Say that it's all for you, Jesus. Say that we pour it out. Come on, if he's ever been there for you, if you know that he loves you, if you know that he sees you, if you know that he's worthy, just worship his name. Just begin to praise him. We magnify We give it all to Jesus. You can begin to open up our mouths and get in charge this atmosphere and start to give the Lord what he needs. We give it all to you. We give it all to you, Jesus. Lead us in our ways, Lord. We give it all. We surrender You can have my mind, you can have my heart, I give it all to you.
back up if you can find that we don't generally do a second offering most of the time but time and time again scripture refers as our finances as a visible demonstration of what we're doing with our lives and I just feel some of us making a new commitment to a new level of living open and saying God everything of my life 
is about you. And if that's a statement that you wanna make today, one of the ways that you can do that is by giving an offering that is above and beyond and different from what you've already given in your tithes and offerings, but just saying, God, everything of my life belongs to you. You wanna do that, you can do it right now, of course, in all of the normal ways that you can. And God, we just wanna say, have your way. Have your way. Holy Spirit, teach us to hold dear to the sacred things. And I speak over this house and over this church that this is a place, God, where we will pour out before you. God, that we break the whole thing open and we're holding nothing back. Have your way. Move in us. God, I thank you for what you've spoke to us today. I thank you for what's getting ready to happen. I thank you for who you are. We honor you, God. We glorify your name. We celebrate you, Jesus. We say that we see you the way that you see us. We recognize your name and we give you all of the praise and the honor. No moment will pass us by. God, because we love you. Because we love you. Because we love you. Because we love you. Come on, if you love him, if he's been good to you, if he's been faithful to you, if he's been consistent in your life, if you want him to know that you know that he's here and you want to give him the honor and you want to give him the glory and you want to shout for his name and you want to celebrate who he is, if you want all of heaven and earth to know that we say, We're getting ready to do something really sacred, something that common.